text I'll be preaching from this morning is found in the book of Luke, chapter 17. Do you want to keep playing? Oh, you're waiting until that's done? first 
sores would appear on their skin because they may have contracted it three years earlier, five years earlier, or even 20 years earlier. And what would happen is they start to get, you can look it up, you can see pictures of people with Hansen's disease or, or uh, um, what's it called? Leprosy. Leprosy. <laughs> or leprosy online, and you'll see big bumps on their skin and sores. And sometimes it looks like their fingers have completely withered off and have disappeared or their coat. It, it causes your hands to get curled up, your feet to curl up where you can't walk or it's excruciating to walk. Eventually, people with uh, leprosy will lose their eyesight. Men will lose the ability to procreate. And it's a terrible and scary disease that eventually will kill you if not treated. And today, people don't typically die from it. It can be treated with a series of antibiotics, really strong series of antibiotics, and eventually it will go away. In ancient times, it was deadly. I think it was deadly physically, but I think the most horrific part of it is that it was deadly spiritually. Because when you were cast out, you weren't able to go to the places of worship. You weren't able to spend time with the people who loved you and protected you. You weren't part of the tribe or the family anymore. You were, you were pushed away and everybody was afraid of you. And so Jesus is walking. He's going towards Jerusalem, and he's going along the border between Samaria, where people were seen mostly as unclean just because they were Samaritans, and they were raised with this kind of mishmash of religions and cultures. And he was walking along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And he goes into a village, and these ten men have this ridiculous courage to call out to him. They kept their distance because they didn't want to disobey the the law and be cast out even more, maybe stoned to death, so they kept their distance, but they called out to Jesus. Somehow they knew who he was, whether by reputation, maybe they had known him before, but they call out to him, and they just ask him for mercy. And I don't know exactly what they were wanting. It could be that they were like, Jesus is a healer, please heal us, show us mercy and heal us. Or it could have been, look us in the eye and call us by name. Approach us. Take our hands, give us a hug. They just wanted some mercy. And Jesus gives it to them. And Jesus says, go to the priests and show yourselves. And these guys are full of courage and faith. And they go. The Bible says that as they are going, they are cleansed. There's something about listening to the voice of Jesus and going where Jesus is sending us that is cleansing for them. They're cleansed from this outward thing that had happened to them. <clears throat> Brene Brown is a professor at the University of Houston. She is a social worker and a researcher of societies and what people go through, and she talks a lot about guilt and shame and the differences between guilt and shame. And this is what she says. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. So listen closely. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is, I am bad. Guilt is, I did something bad. How many of you, if 
who did something that was hurtful to me would be willing to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Well, that's you. You understand guilt. Guilt is, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame is, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. Brown goes on to explain that shame is highly correlated with addiction and depression, violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, eating disorders. Here's why you even need to know more. Guilt is, guilt is inversely correlated with those things. The ability to hold something we've done or failed to do up against who we want to be is incredibly adaptive, she says. It's uncomfortable, but it's adaptive. There is a theme called good guilt, healthy guilt. These 10 lepers were being judged because of a disease that they had, but they were being told that that disease made them as a person They had no reason to feel guilty. They had no reason to feel shame about it. But their society had said to them, you are shameful because you have this thing and you are not allowed to be in the presence of us anymore. But Jesus recognizes that shame is a tool of our enemy. I'll try to tell you a couple of stories to help you understand where I felt guilt before in my life and where I felt shame before. When we uh, lived in Abilene, Elise, our older daughter, still played soccer. And we were sitting on the sideline one day watching her game, and she typically played forward. And for some reason this time, she was playing an outside position. I don't, I don't know much about soccer, and I don't remember what it was called. But she had the ball, and she's dribbling down the sideline. And she'd been taught from the time she started playing in Denver until this point, when you get the ball at your feet, look to shoot. If you can't shoot, you look to dribble, and if you can't dribble, you pass away from pressure. And so she's dribbling down the sideline, and the goal is there. There's nothing between her and the goalie, the goal except the goalie. And she's dribbling towards the goal, and her coach starts yelling to cross the ball. And I don't, I'll just be honest with you, I think he was saying that because his daughter was in the middle, right? And so he's saying, cross the ball. And I can see this little, like, eight-year-old girl, nine-year-old girl look over her shoulder and see that the girl is behind her and has people with her. Other, the other team is all around her. So Elise dribbles up, shoots, scores, and the coach turns around and looks at the small set of bleachers that all the parents were sitting in, and he goes, selfish. And I'm always really pastoral and careful. <laughs> Why are you laughing? So I stood up and I said, nope. I'm not going to call kids' names, especially my kid. And I start heading towards the coach. And Michelle, being the hothead that she normally is, she's very, not very pastoral, she puts her hand on mine and says, Ross, do you think this is the right time? And I said, I can wait till halftime. <laughs> so, so I sit down and wait until halftime. And I'm, the whole time, I'm just saying really nice things about this man. And, and I stand up at halftime, and I start to approach him. And Michelle stops me again, and she goes, maybe another time? And I was like, okay, I'll wait until practice. So I sit down, and I start praying for him. Not immediately. <laughs> and I go to practice, and after practice, I approach him, and I said, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something. 
Um, he was on the school board of a small community outside of Abilene, and so I knew he cared about kids. And I approached him and I said, hey, um, I gotta tell you something that I saw that I don't think you will be happy about and I don't think is who you want to be. And so I explained to him what I saw and what he did, and he started crying. Had tears coming out of his eyes, and so then, of course, I'm a big baby, so tears start coming out of my eyes. And I was like, I, I, I know you don't want to be that. And he said, thank you so much for telling me. He said, we need that kind of accountability within our faith where people help us. So he felt guilty. And I was glad. <laughs> Not because I wanted him to feel bad, but because I recognized that his guilt was going to change him. And I can honestly say that as long as Elise played for him from that point forward, he was much more encouraging and much more loving towards all of the girls. That's an example of how guilt can be good when it's healthy. Two days later, I'm about to pick the girls up from school, which is the most peace-filled moment in any of our days. <laughs> Drop off and pick up from school. It's calm, everybody's polite, waving at each other, smiling, offering blessings, you know. <laughs> This particular street was a pretty busy street and it ran east and west and the school was on the south side of the street. And there was straight in parking in front of the school and that was the only parking that there was. And if you found an open spot, I always felt like God had shined his face upon me that day and I got to find a real parking spot. And so one day I pulled in and I parked and Elisa and Emery come out and they get in my truck. But somebody had come along, like I'm parked, and somebody parked on the street behind me, which is what everybody did, and I was blocked in, and we had some place to go. It was more important than any place this person needed to be, I'm certain, right? <laughs> because our time at drop-off and pick-up is obviously more more important than anyone else's. And so um, we were stuck, and they finally drove off, and we backed up and went to where we needed to go. So I came up with this strategy, that if I found an open spot, I was gonna back into it, and then I would pull out about halfway, that way nobody could park in front of me because they'd be out in the street. And it worked, I mean, it was an amazing strategy. I never got blocked in again. And one day, um, I, I pulled up and there was an empty spot and there was a car parked in front of the empty spot and there was plenty of room in front of her to pull up and open the spot for me. So uh, I rolled out my window and I tried to get her attention and she doesn't look, so I honk my horn. The, the friendly honk, not the purr, but the friendly one was like beep beep, you know? So I like friendly honk at her. She looks at me and I said, hey, you mind moving up so I have that spot? And she just goes, no. <laughs> and I calmly said, would you please move up? I would like to have that spot that you're blocking. And she goes, no, I'm not moving up for you. <laughs> and I said, this is ridiculous. Would you please move up so I can have that spot? What is wrong with you? And she moved up and I parked and I was obviously upset and angry, and I parked, and I decided that I was gonna approach her to try to reconcile the situation and figure out what I had done wrong to her to cause her to be so rude. And so I get out of my truck, and I'm sure that I was walking in a very calm fashion, <laughs> and I walk up to her driver's side window. She's a small woman in a small car. I'm not a small woman, and I was not walking like a small woman. And I walked up to her window and I tapped on it. She looked at me and looked straight forward. And I said, what's the problem? Like yelling through the glass at her. 
What's the problem? What did I do to you to cause you to be so rude to me? So she cracks her window and she goes, last week I moved out of the way for you and you pulled in and then you pulled your big old truck out and you blocked me and I couldn't back up or go forward and we were stuck and she rolls the window up. And so I recognized the flaw in my system. And I said, listen, which is how all good sentences start. Listen, do you know who's, who you're blocking in when you park here? The teachers at this school. So she got like the teacher husband all fired up and I was like, these teachers work hard all day long. They get paid peanuts to take care of our kids and educate our kids and you block them in and what if one of them has to hurry out of the school, get in their car and hustle off to take their kid to the doctor or pick their kid up from somewhere and you block them in. Man, and I was right, you know I'm right. <laughs> and she goes, shoot, shoot, get out of here. <laughs> and I had been working really hard to develop relationships at that school that were missional, that I could that I could talk to people about Jesus, that I could try to invite them to come to church with us and be part of this community that we were forming that was re restorative and redemptive, and, and I blew it. And I went back and I got in my truck, and I was like, What's wrong with you? Why can't you control yourself? Why can't you stay in the moment and be present to what's happening? Why can't you recognize that her time is important also and she's a valuable person? What is wrong with you? That's the voice of shame. I took the guilt of letting the moment get to me and I took it and I fed my shame with it, which is you're dumb. You can't control yourself. What's wrong with you? These ten leopards were living with shame. <clears throat> they weren't living with guilt because they didn't know how they had contracted this disease. What they had been told is something is wrong with you. And now you have this shameful all experience shame. It could be about the way we look. It could be about the way we think. It could just be because we exist. Shame is the tool of the devil because shame makes us forget who we are as children of God. Because friends, you remember, we are not defined by anything other than the fact that we are children of God. No matter what you see in the mirror and the voice tells you about yourself. No, no matter what you think when you don't get the job that you wanted and the voice starts talking to you, that voice is a liar. You are worthy of love and you are worthy of acceptance and you are worthy of being seen because you are. Not because of anything you've done. Not because of anything you've said. But simply because you are. Brene Brown says that the way we fight shame is by leaning in and being vulnerable. That's really hard for some of us. So 
I would encourage you to find a counselor, a therapist, a friend that you trust, a pastor, I happen to know one, that you could go and talk to, who will guide you through practices that will help you win this battle over shame. Because friends, you don't have to live alone. So this one leper, he's a Samaritan, he's different. He turns, he goes back. He's got this like double shame thing going on. He's a Samaritan in, in Israel, and he's a leper. And he goes back to Jesus and recognizes that Jesus has done something amazing for him. And he falls down and he praises God. And Jesus says the most amazing word. Get up. Your faith healed you. Healing is different. It's about your whole body and your whole self. The relationship, the willingness to go to Jesus and fall down and trust with faith that Jesus will accept this person. Heal you. same thing will happen for you and for me. In the name of the Father,